Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential, your weekly hit of all the latest breaking royal news right here on Mail Plus. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, and well, there really is only one story in town this week, isn't there? And that's the fallout, continuing fallout from the interview that Harry and Meghan gave Oprah Winfrey earlier in the week. There's been bonus clips, there's been palace statements and the controversy surrounding that. And Piers Morgan, Good Morning Britain host, even walked from his job in the fallout from his comments about Meghan. Joining me now is the Daily Mail's editor-at-large, Richard Kay, to dissect some of this. Hello, Richard. It took two days for the palace to issue a statement about all of this. I have that statement here, and the palace says, the whole family is saddened to learn the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for Harry and Meghan. The issues raised, particularly that of race, are concerning. While some recollections may vary, they are taken very seriously and will be addressed by the family privately. Harry, Meghan and Archie will always be much loved family members. So it would be fair to say, would it not, that the moon in the palace this week is not a happy one. I think the Queen, she's been through so many of these uh, situations, family, uh, internal family rows over many years, was desperate to sort of be a, a calming voice and to pour oil on troubled water. So rather than inflame the situation with great quantities of outrage and kerosene, if you like, um, she wanted to calm things down. Um, And I think that explains why it took a couple of days for their statement to come out. And what did I make of it? Well, it was was ameliorating. It was regal too. Um, I feel it did address, address the issue, but crucially, it sort of smothered the couple in love and affection. It didn't use their formal titles. It talked about Harry and Meghan. And I think the feeling was that they wanted to draw them back in if they felt excluded and include them. Um, And I think it did show um, a measure of um, great resolve on the Queen's part, but also kindness. And and she, she wants to sort of bombard them with kindness, if you like. I recall how after the Panorama interview in 1995, the palace reaction, which could have been one of of anger um, was in fact very ameliorating then too and and they went out of their way at that time to sort of love bomb Diana to say look we're here for you we'll do whatever you want and it did to, to a certain degree draw the sting of the debate and I think this has done much the same this statement. So they have said that they will deal with this matter personally and internally but that hasn't always worked out for the best has it? Is it really possible for them to deal with this in an objective manner when it's something so sensitive and personal? Will it satisfy everybody? I think it's right that they should have some opportunity to try and understand where the couple were coming from and what their allegations are about without the the, the cameras being on them, the spotlight being on them permanently. I think that's entirely reasonable, whether it will satisfy critics or indeed people who, who support the royal family remains to be seen. The palace is notoriously a slow-moving institution. How much change can they really effect quickly? 
Well, you know, one of the reasons why the royal family uh, and the monarchy has, has endured and existed for so long is because of its ability to adapt. Um, it's had shock to the systems before, um, most notably, of course, the abdication crisis in 1936, and the monarchy came back better and stronger as a consequence of Edward VIII's departure. And in more recent times, Princess Diana unleashed her own uh, bombshell on the royal family with her panorama interview, making all sorts of allegations about the Prince of Wales and the institution. And the monarchy learned and digested from those and adapted again, adapted. But we are talking about an institution headed by a woman almost of 95. Um, she's at the great age of her life where really she should, she should be cut a bit of slack. Why should she have to change everything um, because of, of, of what Harry and Meghan have been saying. So I think there will be some pushback on some of the things that Harry and Meghan have said, but obviously they, they don't want to alienate them. They don't want Harry, um, his wife and, and two children, because they're expecting a daughter in the summer, becoming a sort of the woke monarchy across the water. They will have to try and bring them back into the system somehow. And where do you think they go from here in terms of really showing that they're engaging with these issues and these alleged problems of racism and uh, mental health issues? Yes, I think those are the two uh, touchstone issues that really will have upset uh, the monarchy the most. Um, racism, yeah, yeah, how, how, how are they going to address that? Did, did a member of the family truly um, posit questions about the, the colour of the skin uh, of, of their first child, Archie. Well, that's certainly the, the, the version of events that we've heard from Harry and Meghan. On mental health, again, another major uh, and, and sensitive issue at this time, um, right across the country and indeed across the globe. The implication in what Meghan said was that she had real, genuine mental health issues and she didn't get the kind of support that she should have been entitled to. Is that fair and is it true? I mean, they've got, you know, they've got to get to the bottom of that. Richard, you've written in the paper this week about the relationship between Harry and Kate and what you think this means for the relationship between Meghan and Kate. I, I suppose we have to wind back the clock and, and remember what the, uh, what the dynamic was when Meghan joined the family when she first started dating Harry. Kate, William and Harry were a fantastic trio who did great things uh, for the monarchy all around the, the country and all over the globe. And it must have been difficult uh, for an American woman to come into that, to sort of break through, if you like. But I think they, she was given every help and encouragement because they thought she was going to be a great addition. And um, certainly the media thought so. I mean, all those headlines about the Fab Four are testimony to that. Well, this interview has really unleashed a, a lot of shockwaves, including the Good Morning Britain host Piers Morgan leaving his job under a bit of a cloud after his comments caused so many complaints to Ofcom regarding Meghan. Do you think that we'll be seeing the ramifications of this interview for weeks and possibly months to come? I fear we will. I mean, um, reactions are sharply divided. They're divided on on gender lines, they're divided on age lines, they're divided on ethnicity lines too. Um, I think it's a major jolt uh, to all, all sorts of systems, not just the royal family, but the institution of the media, not just in this country, but, but elsewhere too. Uh, I think there's a huge amount uh, to absorb 
and I think there will be a lot, a lot more to come, um, I, I fear, in the weeks and months ahead. Thank you, Richard, for joining us. Well, earlier this week, we recorded a very special edition of Palace Confidential with immediate reactions to the Oprah interview. Joining me for that discussion were the Daily Mail's Royal Editor, Rebecca English, Saturday Diary Editor, Richard Eden, and columnist, Sarah Vine. And we looked over some of the more controversial statements from the programme. Let's have a look. The really the most incendiary claim from the whole thing that Meghan and Harry both said that there was discussion or quote-unquote concern in the family about what colour Archie's skin might be when he was born. Um, Rebecca, have you had any more detail from this, from anyone behind the scenes? No, and obviously there's a good reason why, because this is the most difficult thing for the palace and the royal family to comment on. Um, I think one of the things that we want to know more about is the context of it. In which context was it said? I mean, clearly it was it was crass and clunky and horrible, um, but there could be a context to it uh, that we don't know about. And I think the palace want to find out more about that. And um, it's quite interesting that Harry and Meghan's story slight, slightly differs on this because Meghan said it happened when she was pregnant that Harry had the conversation with this unnamed family member. And interestingly, she said it wasn't just a conversation and a comment that this person concerned raised concerns about her child's skin colour, which is, is a really shocking allegation to make and very troubling if true. Whereas Harry says um, it happened right at the beginning before they were even married. And while he says it was kind of an awkward conversation, he was a bit shocked they made this remark. He didn't seem to suggest there was anything more sinister to it to that. So it's a tricky one. But the trouble is they've kind of gone in there and are kind of half set off this bomb and are leaving other people to pick up pieces of the wreckage. Interesting, while both of them said they didn't want to name the person concerned because it would be too damaging for them, Harry then told Oprah, can you please make clear in any subsequent publicity you do that it wasn't my grandmother or grandfather? So that kind of leaves a kind of ever narrowing, you know, band of suspects. And, you know, that's something that's, that's very difficult and very potentially damaging. Now let's move on. I want to discuss um, this whole question of Archie not being automatically a prince and whether that was a decision or if that's protocol. Who wants to explain to the Australian Commonwealth subject what the rules are around Archie being a prince or not? Not me. I, <laughs> I can happily try and explain it to you, but very simple. It, it's it's history. George V laid down some rules and regulations um, which basically said that, you know, only only family to do with the direct heirs of the throne passed down through the male line um, would be um, entitled to be HRHs and prince and princesses. Um, the simple fact is that as, as Harry's son, Archie was not entitled to be an HRH or a prince when he was born unless they asked the Queen to issue letters patent to make a point of making him one. Um, and we, and I have to say this, we were very strongly briefed at the time as journalists by the people employed by the Sussexes, that actually they were cool with this because they wanted Harry to be uh, Archie to be Master Archie Harrison, Mountbatten, Windsor, and to be able to kind of live a life if he so chose, a bit akin to that of Zara and Peter Phillips. It was being conflated with the issue of security, and uh, and Meghan was saying very clearly, look. The reason why the only the only reason why I wanted him to be a prince was because that came with a level of security, and that would keep my child safe. 
But the point that's been made to me is that, you know, as as seventh in line to the throne, as Harry's son, he, he was always going to be entitled to security as a member of the royal family. That wasn't an issue. And even though the Prince of Wales wanted a wants a slim down monarchy in the future, Harry and his family were always an important part of that. You know, he would have always been protected within the confines of the royal family. So people just can't understand why this is being said now. Mm. Richard, I want to ask you about the, the wider ramifications for perceptions in the Commonwealth, no matter what is true and what isn't true now about this, you know, race row, is that, you know, the, the, the greater regions of the Commonwealth are, are largely populated by non-white people. How do you think this is going to play in, in the broader global scale in that way? I think the interview will come to be seen as very damaging indeed. And, you know, in this day and age, throwing around an accusation of racism is pretty much the worst thing that can be done. And and to leave it in this abstract way as well, leaves this stain, you know, sort of over the whole royal family. Um, and it is it is very unpleasant. They were very careful not to be rude about the Queen or Prince Philip, but instead very negative, unpleasant about William, Kate and Prince Charles. And this is really saying we're the new royal family, you know, we're the woke royal family in touch with modern views and in touch with Americans particularly. And it seems to have gone down very well in places like America, where we've, for goodness sake, we've even had a spokesman for the American president saying how brave Meghan was to talk and that sort of thing. I think that going back to the racism accusation in, in relation to the Commonwealth, the Queen has dedicated her entire reign in, in large part to the Commonwealth. She is hugely committed to this organisation. It is her absolute passion. So for them to come out with this racism accusation is a real blow to the solar plexus for her because it will, in some ways, it will taint all of that work that she has done. I mean, you know, the cruelty of what they have, of that, you know, this is a woman who has worked tirelessly for the Commonwealth, who is clearly not in the slightest bit prejudiced or racist, who loves the Commonwealth. And for them to then come along and make this little sort of half accusation, it's really shocking. Megan made a really interesting point. It's something I it struck a chord with me that she was disappointed by some of the way, some of the way, their role, the way in which their roles with the Commonwealth ended, because she said she could see in people's eyes how much it meant to them to have a, a senior woman of colour in that kind of position. And I have to say, I agree. I do think it's a massive opportunity loss. Um, and it won't, it'll be uncomfortable with Buckingham Palace going back to this race issue because the palace prides itself on on being a fairly diverse employer, and certainly it is when it comes to more junior members of staff but um it is pretty woefully short when it comes to higher up the food chain and i think that's something that this whole issue uh, should prompt the palace to look uh, internally at the other really disturbing claim that megan made is that she was actually thinking about taking her own life during her time at the palace and for so many people this has brought back the whole the, the moments of Diana's mental health and her unhappiness at those times. What did the panel think about this? We all in our lives have moments where we're deeply unhappy and feel very sad. And, you know, I don't think that her experience is necessarily unique. Um, I think that um, the important thing is to 
talk about it and to try and do something about it. I think it's interesting that she felt very low during her pregnancy. I mean, I think that's a very common experience for a lot of women. You know, there's a lot going on. I mean, there would have, I mean, there was a lot of change in her life, wasn't there? She just married into the royal family. Then she got pregnant very quickly. Pregnancy really changes you. It's, it's quite, you know, I found it quite difficult. I think a lot of women do. It's, it's, you know, you suddenly feel like your body doesn't belong to you anymore. You're kind of out of control. You know, your, your hormones are everywhere. Um, so I think what, I, what surprised me slightly was that she said she spoke to HR about it. I mean, I, I'm not sure that that would have been perhaps the best way to, to deal with it. I'm sure she should have spoken to Harry. And I, I find it hard to believe that they would have barred her from seeing it. I mean, you know, the Queen and I mean, the, the royals, the royals have all sorts of medical issues and they very rarely get out into the open unless they want them to be out into the open. So, I, you know, I'm slightly surprised that she says that. Um, again, yeah, I just want to, yeah, sorry, I want to bring you in at this point, Richard, because that that struck me as as odd that they would bar her from that psychiatric support when you know, the, the Fab Four, as they were once known, were, have done so much in that space to discuss mental health. What, what's your view? I thought this really was sort of the saddest part of the whole programme um, last night. And, and it's something which will have upset everyone for the reasons you mentioned, because, you know, even at their first appearance as the Fab Four together, they were talking about mental health issues. And I'm sure people would have wanted to help Megan had they known. I mean, it's not... It's not clear exactly who she spoke to or whatever, but the, the end result is she felt very isolated. And that brings back memories of Diana, um, that I think it's very easy to get cut off from life. And Megan went from having a very full life, um, you know, being very active with her lifestyle blog and everything, to then being on her own in a cottage where she said it was difficult for her even to have friends around or to go out or anything. And, and I, I felt sorry for her. And I think that's something which um, is, will definitely be a, a cause of regret for the royal family, I think. Rebecca, oh, does this, oh, sorry. sorry, I was going to ask you if this yeah. rings true with how you know the inner workings are at the palace. Is it, did they really sort of like strategically tell members of the royal family that they need to stay inside because they're overexposed or that they can't have lunch with their friends? No, I mean, not, not in my experience. I mean, I'm really torn about this because it makes me, makes me really sad to think that anybody could feel like that in any situation. And I think her account of how they were attending public events and they were putting on a smile, but inside, you know, her heart was breaking, I think it is inc was incredibly moving. The one thing I, I, I don't understand is this suggestion that... Um, Harry, who is someone who has talked really bravely and openly about his own mental health issues and how he sought professional help for the um, emotional trauma he felt is the, the loss of his mother. How when he realised his wife was experiencing these kind of feelings, wouldn't know how to access her the help that she needed. And I don't understand. I know people within the palace don't understand your suggestion of her going to Palace HR. I mean, Palace HR is for employees. Um, and I suppose while Meghan and Harry might be employees of the Queen, they're not royal household employees. Um, so there would be no reason to go to HR about it. I mean, it's a very personal issue. And that's one thing I'm constantly told. Members of the royal family are entitled to 
private medical information. Harry is, is the king of mental health issues. The idea that he doesn't have a really good psychologist or psychiatrist on speed dial is just impossible. I mean, you know, he would have sorted it out for her. And, and you know, he was there for her. He's always been there for her. He's, you know, he, he, you could not find a more sort of caring or loving husband than Harry. Well, reactions to the Harry and Meghan interview have definitely been mixed and often heated and something of a generational divide has shown itself. A survey this week revealed that younger people are more likely to be supportive of the Sussexes after the interview, while older people tend to be team queen and the rest of the royal family. But what about the reactions in the US where the interview first aired? Well, royal biographer Clive Irving, who now lives in New York, gave us the view from the ground there. Here in America, most people's knowledge of British history is limited to the crown. There's no reason why it should be otherwise, really. And so um, everything that they see in relation to the royal family at the moment and it, and uh, over the last few years is shaped by that experience. Now, it so happened that Diana is not... The Diana story is not 30 years ago for Americans, it's three months ago, because they've been seeing it in the latest series of The Crown. And there's a natural and seamless jump for them. And this is the way I saw it when I watched it, from Diana and the early stages of that breakup, of that marriage, and what's been happening, what, what Meghan says she has endured at the hands of the Windsors. I think one thing you have to realize about the way Americans view this saga is that they they keep bringing up the double standard applied to Meghan and Harry and Andrew. That's the story that Americans are currently very well aware of and alert to, and they don't understand why there's been no signal of moral reproof from the Queen or anyone else in the royal family to Andrew. He's simply been stripped of his duties, but there's been no word of reproof about him at all. So they see this as a very dangerous double standard, whereas Harry and Meghan, who are exemplary in, in moral terms, there's absolutely no question about that, have had to suffer all this at the hands of the palace. The other thing is about this statement that was issued. It falls into the category of what I call the Captain Renault excuse, which is from Casablanca, when, Cap when Captain Renault suddenly says, I'm shocked, I'm shocked to discover gambling is going on in this club. Well, it sounded like that from the Royal Family. We're shocked, shocked to find out that Harry and Meghan have been suffering. Come on, give me a break. I mean, th th this sounds like the same kind of insularity. It it's self-condemning because it, it conveys a sense of insularity and unknowing that in itself is, is without mercy, and it repeats the whole Diana saga. So in 26 years, they seem to have done nothing. In this fiasco, they are appearing as a private institution which wants to resist any transparency at all about what goes on. They can't live that double life. It's too much of a strain. The institution, and whoever buttresses the institution, whoever runs it, it's run by people. It's not an abstract thing. It needs to wake up, modernise. There shouldn't be any surprise at all as a howl of rage in this country about racism, because we live in this country with racism every day in a way that you don't in the UK. Racism is on the front line of the political agenda because white supremacists are at this moment trying to rewrite the rules of elections to suppress the black vote. And pervasive racism is a big issue here. And you only had to open that box as Oprah did with Meghan for it to come out and 
and for there to be a cry of horror. I thought when Oprah quite naturally and automatically responded, what, when Meghan said that, it, you could hear that what echoing all over America at the same time. The palace is conflicted between two needs. One need immediately is to shut it down, to, to turn off the oxygen of the whole thing, which is what they've tried to do now. But they need to do the other thing, which is in the longer term, is to be far more open and transparent about what went on. And also, more importantly, I think, to improve this relationship in the future, to take the stink away from it because it does to americans it stinks at the moment it stinks of a dysfunctional fat and cruel family and they've got to deal with that and they have to deal with that over the long term otherwise the monarchy is in rapid decline in the view of americans two episodes of palace confidential in a week we do like to spoil you but that is all we have time for today thank you hugely to my guests richard k and clive irving and thanks to you for watching we will be back next week at the usual time for another episode of Palace Confidential on Melbourne.